Good morning to everyone. Good morning and happy Father's Day and welcome to the well here at STSA. Because it's Father's Day, I have two things that I do for the dads every year on Father's Day. Two long-standing promises that you guarantee every Father's Day will happen. This will happen at the well. Number one, on your handouts, there are no blanks to fill in. All the answers are given right there because dads hate to write. So that's number one, my promise for all the dads. And number two, every year I start Father's Day with a dad joke. Very good, very good. A, dad, a joke that all dads can appreciate. So this is one for all the dads in the room. And I will laugh at your dumb jokes and you laugh at mine and we'll kind of conspire that way together. Once upon a time, there was a dad who was taking a long walk on a beach out in Los Angeles. And it was a beautiful sunny day and he left all the stress of work behind and the kids and they're crying and all the stuff in the house and all that was behind. He was just enjoying his day. The sun was shining. The weather was perfect, light breeze. And he is walking and he is praying and he feels like he and God are in perfect communion with one another. And as he's walking, he says, God, grant me one wish. Grant me just one wish. And he hears a voice from heaven that says, what do you want? He says, thinks about it. He says, I want you to build me a highway from here to Hawaii that I can walk on this road and enjoy the beautiful nature you have created and walk from here or drive from here to Hawaii someday. And the voice responds. That's a pretty materialistic wish, don't you think? That's pretty selfish, don't you think? Think about all the resources that will take for that. Like, how are you making the world better in any way? The time, the effort, the money, that's gonna go into making a bridge from Los Angeles to Hawaii, think of a better wish. But he thinks about it. He says, okay, help me to understand women, specifically my wife, how she thinks, what makes her happy, what's going on in her head. He hears a, boy, a voice back from heaven that says, do you want two lanes or four lanes on that highway? Welcome to the series called Speaking of Health, where that joke had nothing to do with anything, but like I said, that's my long-standing promise for all the dads, where we are talking about what it means to be healthy, and here's our key thought for this series. We're in part three this week, and our key thought is that I am one person made up of many parts, all of which are connected and all of which belong to God. What we're talking about here in this series is about how we as human beings we oftentimes compartmentalize ourselves into physical health, mental health, spiritual health, but in reality, we're just, health is just a, me as a person. I am made in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I am a triune being. Meaning, as we say every time we celebrate the divine liturgy, we ask God to purify our souls, our bodies, and our spirits. Don't we say that every time we celebrate the liturgy? Our souls, our bodies, and our spirits. And those are the three parts of you and the three parts of me. We have a body that's flesh, that one's easy. We have a soul, okay, which can also be called a mind, which is what's inside, which is what drives the body. If I take the soul out of the body, I'm a vegetable, I'm a plant, I'm a tree, but it's my soul or my mind, we'll use those two terms interchangeably, that drives my body. And then the hope is that we as Christians, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us in a third realm, that spiritual realm, and we need all three to be working together. If any one part of me is not healthy, then me is not healthy. I don't say my left lung is, is sick, but my right lung is okay. If my left lung is sick, I am sick. If any part of me, body, mind, spirit, isn't right, it affects the whole nature, the whole person. The first week we learned 
based on this, that caring for my body is just as important to God as caring for my spirit. That's not how we were raised. We were raised to say, care about your spirit, pray. The body stuff that's earthly doesn't matter. We don't care about that stuff. And we learned, no, that we glorify God in our body and in our spirit because they both belong to God. And caring for my physical health is just as important and my mental health and my emotional health and my relational health is just as important as my spiritual health because they're all connected. And I shared a story about myself, about how I learned this firsthand. Last week, we went a little bit deeper, okay? When it comes to the body, the soul, and the spirit, we hear about the body a lot and we hear about the spirit a lot. So we're really digging into that second piece right there, that soul or that mind. And what we learned last week is that our minds are very powerful. And that what we learned is that you're, you can change your brain by changing your thoughts. And we made a distinction between our brain and our mind. They're not the same. Your brain is the hardware. Your mind is the software. Okay, your brain is the violin, but your mind is the violinist. The violin by itself has no value. If I take my brain out of my head and I put it on a table, can't do anything. But if I put it inside and I let my mind control it, then it can function and perform great things. Most powerful thing on this planet, okay, is this thing that's inside our heads when it's subject to our mind. Now, the hope is as Christians as well is that my mind is subject to my spirit, which is the spirit of God, okay, but that's not really our topic here for this week. Our thoughts that we learned last week, by guiding our thoughts, we can change our brain. We can literally perform brain surgery on ourselves and rewire our brains by the way that we choose to think. What we talked about last week is how every thought, thoughts are not abstract. Thoughts are real. Every thought that you think does something in your brain. It makes a connection. And the more you think a certain thought, the easier it is for that thought to come back. So the more and more you think, it'll never change. The more and more you'll think, it'll never change. The more and more you think, I'm no good, or he's no good, or this is going to end bad, or I have no value. The more you think it, the more you'll think it. Because every time you have a thought, you are widening the highway for that thought to go down in the future. And the scary part of this is, talked about this last week, that the average person has 30,000 thoughts per day. Those are real. Every one of those is real. And 95% of those thoughts are in the subconscious where you don't even realize they're taking place. We can't control the subconscious, but what we can do is control the thoughts that we can control, the conscience, and like I said, those will affect those. And that's why we looked at this verse last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. St. Paul may not have understood the neurology and the science behind it, but he sure understand the truth about it, which is that we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is an important point. My brain doesn't control me. I control my brain. I was watching a movie this past week. Okay, it's this movie called Parental Guidance. Anyone ever seen this movie, Parental Guidance? It's a nice family movie, okay, about how the grandparents, okay, and then the, this, this gener like our, my generation and the parents' generation is a very funny movie. I highly recommend it. Very few inappropriate parts, but that's fine. And in it, one of the boys had an imaginary friend, okay? He's the little boy, and he would do all these naughty things. Then he would say, I can't remember what the imaginary friend's name was. What was his name? Anyone know? Carl, okay? Carl told me to do it. And he would say, Carl told me to do it. And finally, the grandpa was like, look, you don't, you don't listen to Carl. Carl listens to you. Next time he tells you to do this, you tell him that's not appropriate or something like that. And he kept telling him, you don't have to listen to him. He has to listen to you. And then finally, the invisible friend got hit by a car or something like that, and everything was fine. The point of it is the same with your brain. You don't have to listen to your brain. Your brain has to listen to you. We're in control. 
Stop saying this is my brain and my brain and my brain and my brain and the thoughts I have no control. We have to take control back over our lives. Like there's two extremes that we don't wanna to go to either one. Okay, and I'm, and I'm clearly pushing more one because I think we go to the other one too much. One extreme is, is that we deny any problems, any mental health problems, and we deny any ailments in our brain, and we deny any of these things, and that's for sure a problem. But you know the other problem, the other extreme, is that we say we have no control. And we say, you know what? Well, I have this problem, so therefore I have nothing I can do about it, and it's just the way I am. This is how God made me, and this is just, and I say no. I say no, we are not robots. We are not zombies. We are made in the image of God. And because we are made in the image of God, we have a choice. We always have a choice. And yes, some of us have weaknesses in our brain, for sure. And we'll discuss some of that this week. Some of us have things, all of us have things that make our brain less than perfect. But we have a choice. And there's something that we can do about it. And what we're going to talk about here today, following up on last week, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, We are not, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Whatever weakness we may have in our brain, God has given to us a sound mind. He has given to us a power. He has given us the ability to affect that brain and the rest of the body, just like the rest of the body. I can't say, well, I was just born with these hips and that's just the way my hips are. No, get yourself to the gym and do something about those hips. Like every part of our body, we can do something about, we can affect it. And yes, some people are born, like I said, with different deficiencies or weaknesses, but there's no person who says, I have no control and there's nothing that I can do about it. This is why we can talk about the judgment of God and we don't say unfair. Because a God who judges us assumes that we have the ability to control certain things and to make choices. But there cannot be a judgment of God, a righteous judgment of God, if there's not the ability to choose, which is also called free will, and that's what you and I have because we are not robots. What we're doing here today, get rid of this idea, okay, when it comes to spiritual, physical, mental, rid of this idea in all areas that there is sick and healthy. Oh, I'm healthy physically. Oh no, I'm in horrible shape physically. Probably none of us are perfect, but none of us are also zero. Probably we're somewhere along the way and everyone can take steps to get better physically. Same is true spiritually. We don't say, well, that guy's a priest. He's got nothing he needs to do and that person's a sinner. They're the worst person in the world. Everyone is somewhere on the spectrum of spiritual health and needs to take steps in the right direction. The same is true up here when it comes to our mental health. And I told you last week, get rid of the word mental if you don't, that bothers you, it's brain health, okay? Every one of us is somewhere when it comes to our brain health, that we're not perfect, we're also not a zero, and what we need to do is figure out how we can take steps to get this guy working at an optimal level. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk science today a little bit. At a very, very, very high level, like I'm not gonna insult your intelligence and make you think that I got this stuff understood but what we're gonna do is at a very high level, try to understand some of the different parts of the brain. And this could be like people study five, six years to understand this stuff. We're just gonna go very, very high level because it's Father's Day. So we're going hardware today. We're gonna talk about the hardware of your soul, which is your brain. And we're gonna try to see what the different parts of the brain that God has given to us, what each part does, not each part, but these particular parts I'm gonna talk about and how we can help get them a little bit better shape. Okay, last week we talked about the negative side. We talked about the ants, the automatic negative thoughts. And we talked about how we need to get those things out because those things are like stopping the bleeding. Okay, if you remember last week, I compared your thoughts to the water supply and the ecosystem of you. So last week we talked about how to stop the pollution. But now we stop the pollution. How do we now build up the supply that we have and purify what's in there and make this thing healthy? 
stopping the bleeding, but now like the physical therapy to get back into shape. That's what we're looking at here today. And the first step to getting in shape is understanding how your brain works. We're gonna talk about three parts of the brain. And like I said, I'm not gonna insult your intelligence, tell you I understand this. I'm gonna tell you I read a book, okay? And I read a couple different books and I'm gonna summarize very high level and a lot of grouping stuff together, just some of the different parts of the brain. The first part of the brain is the CEO of your brain. It's called the prefrontal cortex. That's the most important part of your brain. That's the front piece. Okay, that's the part when you're looking at the brain from the head on, that's the, the piece that you can see, and that makes up in human beings 30% of your brain on average, which is a very high ratio. In chimpanzees and apes, it's uh, 10 to 11%, which shows that God made us, okay, something special about this part of the brain. This is the CEO of the brain. This is the guy who calls the shots. This is the internal supervisor. This is the guy, the most developed part of our brain, who allows us to think about tomorrow today. Okay, most animals don't think about tomorrow today. They think about today, today, and tomorrow, tomorrow. But we're able to think about tomorrow today. We're able to make plans. We're able to follow through on those plans. We're able to try to get ahead. What this part of the brain is also responsible for is helping us to resist temptation, helping us to think long-term, not just short-term, helping us to think, like I alluded to a minute ago, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips or forever on the hips or whatever it may be. This is the part of the brain that says, don't send that email, you're gonna regret it tomorrow. This is the part of the brain that says, no, don't eat that, it's gonna make you feel bad in the morning. So when this part of the brain is, is functioning at an optimal level, you make good choices, you're organized, you are forward thinking, and you also are able to learn from past mistakes. Now with every one of these parts of the brain, I'm gonna show you some characteristics of when there is unhealthy activity in this part of the brain, okay? And unhealthy could be too much activity. This part of the brain is firing too much or too little, okay? And when you have uh, unhealthy activity in your prefrontal cortex, you see it right there, short attention span, impulse control problems, lack self-control, lack perseverance, trouble learning from past experience, poor judgment, chronic lateness, disorganization, struggles to connect actions with consequences. So here's what I'm trying to say. I'm gonna show you three parts of the brain and I'm gonna show you the unhealthy parts of it. And you should probably be able to identify, hey, you know what? This part is my, not my strongest part, okay? And this is the part where I may struggle. And you may think that, you know what? You're just a disorganized person. But maybe there's a biological stuff that's happening that you can do something about, okay? Maybe there's more to it than necessarily meets the eye. Prefrontal cortex is where you talk about ADD. Attention deficit disorder falls into here. Now, when we say ADD, we use it as a excuse to not pay attention. We say it in a funny, silly kind of a way. You know, my wife is talking about this, well, I got ADD, so I'm just, that's my excuse to, I don't wanna listen, I don't care. Okay, that's not real ADD. Attention deficit disorder means when this part of your brain, okay, your prefrontal cortex, responds to intellectual challenges by shutting down, by decreased activity. So when there's a challenge intellectually, a decision that needs to be made and it's something that's causing stress, this part of the brain decreases its activity. What do you think happens when your CEO of your brain who makes decisions lowers his activity at the moment where there's a decision in front of you? You're probably going to make poor decisions. And you may say, I'm just, you know, he's an impulsive person or he's not disciplined or he just can't focus. But maybe there's more to it than meets the eye right here. That's why treatments for ADD usually involve stimulants 
to try to wake this particular part of the brain up and cause more activity, especially when there's a decision that needs to be made. I'll read you a, a case study from this book here by Dr. Daniel Amen, Healing the Hardware of the Soul. He talks about a guy who had ADD, okay? And again, in the real sense, his name is Brian. Brian, a 44-year-old, three times divorced physician, had moved from town to town, clinic to clinic. He was socially isolated and spiritually adrift. Although he had a high IQ, he was frequently fired from jobs for disorganization, insubordination towards his superiors, and thoughtless behavior towards his patients. He was often late for appointments, and he frequently did not get his paperwork done on time. He made the same mistakes over and over, job after job, stuck in self-destructive patterns that could be traced to his childhood. He joined churches, but rarely, rarely followed through on his commitments. As a child, he got frequently, frequently got into trouble with both his parents and the law. He had trouble conforming his behavior to social norms. We look at this person and say, undisciplined, not spiritual, bad person, not serious about work, not serious about his, his spiritual life. This is how we would diagnose this person. Many people told Brian he had a character problem. They told him he was self-absorbed and passive-aggressive. He came to see me after being fired for the third time in one year. As part of his evaluation, I ordered a spec study to evaluate brain function. That was the imaging that we talked about to take a picture of his brain and see which parts are overactive, underactive. Overall, he had very low brain activity in the prefrontal cortex. As a child, he had a near-drowning incident and was unconscious for two days. I concluded that his overall poor brain activity was likely due to oxygen, oxygen deprivation. I knew Brian's problem, listen carefully. I knew Brian's problem was not his character. The problem was the organ that controls character, his brain. Let me say that one again. I knew Brian's problem was not character. The problem was the organ that controls his character, which is his brain. The hardware of his soul, his very essence was severely damaged. Even though he could still walk, talk, and feed himself, he was clearly brain damaged and in need of treatment rather than judgment. With the appropriate therapy, Brian's condition improved, although it may, have never, may never be optimal because of the damage to his brain with improved function allowed him to remain in the same job relationship in church for many years. Spiritual problem or maybe brain problem? I'll tell you another story, also written in this book about a Catholic monk named William. And William was a Catholic monk for several years and he saw that he had this problem which, which he couldn't focus, and he was always distracted. And he read Dr. Amen's book about ADD, okay? Which, by the way, if anyone thinks that they struggle with this ADD, I would highly recommend that book, okay? Um, I think it's called Healing ADD or something like that. And he read that book, and he realized, you know what? This is me. So he went to go see Dr. Amen, and he did the evaluation and things like that. And what he told him was that he had trouble of focusing in prayer. He couldn't follow through on his commitments. He was always procrastinating. He would stand and pray because he's a monk. It's supposed to be his job, but he couldn't focus for more than like two minutes in prayer. He even confessed to daydreaming during people's confessions. He went to see the doctor. Dr. Amen did a brain scan, noticed the low activity in the prefrontal cortex, and he treated him accordingly. And the treatment was medication along with diet changes along with therapy. And after those three, I'm going to read you exactly what he wrote right here. William said, for the first time in my life, I can stay focused in prayer. My whole life felt, I felt inferior because I couldn't meditate on God or stay focused on my prayers. And even his church noticed a marked difference in him. They said he was more present, more available. What happened here? You solved a spiritual problem by investing in your brain health. See how that works? 
That's the CEO of the brain. Next two parts. The next two parts are two that kind of group together, okay? And they're not like touching each other necessarily, okay? But they both perform similar functions. They have strange names, anterior, cingulate, gyrus, basal, and the other one's the basal ganglia. I call them the gear shifters. And what the gear shifters are, is these are the parts of your brain that allow you to shift from one activity or topic to the next. This is what allow you to be flexible, what allows you to adapt. When these areas are working properly, you're able to see options. You're flexible, okay? You're able to see, okay, this door closed, but now we can go to this door. Or now I'm doing this, but now I need to shift into this. You're able to move from activity to activity. A person who his gear shifters are working properly, probably had less trouble adapting to his college roommate than others. Probably when they got to a new job with a new role, they were able to adjust versus someone who may not be able to adjust. They're probably able to get along with different types of people versus the my way or the highway kind of guys. These are people who don't struggle as much to let go of grudges. They hold on to stuff a lot less. Unhealthy traits would be the exact opposite. Worrying, anxiety, rumination, holding on to hurts from the past, stuck on thoughts, obsessive, stuck on behavior, compulsive. By the way, okay, when we say like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder falls into this part of the brain. And again, just like ADD, we overuse this. We say I'm OCD, I'm OCD, and we use that in a, in a, in a wrong way. OCD, okay, obsessive, means I'm stuck on certain thoughts, okay? I obsess over certain thoughts. I'm gonna die. My kids are gonna get hurt. I'm never gonna get out of this bad situation. And when you get stuck on those thoughts, that's obsessive. Compulsive is stuck on behaviors. The people who wash their hands a thousand times. The people who uh, check the oven. Okay, I just checked the oven and I know it's off, but I have to check it again. The people who do this a thousand times a day and do this a thousand times a day and get stuck on checking their email. That's a thing, okay? And they have to check their email. They have to check the test. Did I feel something buzzing? That's a compulsive behavior, and that comes from this part of the brain right here, okay? Argumentative, oppositional, uncooperative, addictive behavior, panic attacks. These are also the people, the people who struggle in this area the least flexible. These are the people who usually commit hate crimes. If they do a study, when they do studies on people who commit the hate crimes or acts of, of, of like terrorism or racism or things like that, it's usually people who have low activity in this part of the brain because they can't see that someone else different than them can be right. It's either like me or not like me, okay? Can I be honest and say a confession? Of the three areas that I'm gonna speak about, this is the area that I'm the weakest in. This is the area that I would say would be my, I definitely have obsessive compulsive tendencies, okay? Tendencies. But we all have something. We all have something, okay? We all have something. True story, about, again, written from this book, but I, I can, I've seen this one, okay? This is, this, I'll tell you a story right now that I'm gonna tell you from this book, but I've seen this one several times so I can vouch for the validity of what I'm about to say right here. There's a person who was angry at God since childhood, okay? Someone who, you know, their mom was sick and they prayed and they believed in prayer and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and their mom died. So then they got angry at God. And everyone tried to encourage them and say, you know what, God has a plan and she's in a better place and you know, God knows what he's doing. But she, this person couldn't see that God has a plan. The plan was my mom is supposed to be alive. And because the plan changed by God, this inflexibility, because this part of the brain controls the ability to see that, hey, wait, maybe there is more than one way. Maybe not everything has to be according, maybe like option A or option B, but they couldn't see that. God messed up, God let me down. This person eventually ends up in marriage counseling because they had a lot of marriage problems. 
the person refers them to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist listens to the story and quickly figures out this person's gear shifters are not lubricated properly. This person is not able to shift gears. This person got on treatment. And after they got on the treatment, which consisted of, again, medication, and this would be like antidepressant kind of medication to, to calm and overactive gear shifters, as well as diet changes and therapy, this person was able to fully get past that and restore their relationship with God and now see that, you know what? There is a different way. It's not just this way or that way, okay? That there can be other options in life. Those are the gear shifters. The last part is the emotional and spiritual hubs, which again are two parts which aren't necessarily touching each other, but they perform the same function, which are the temporal lobes, which are the part of your brain right under your temple, okay? This is the part that usually when someone has brain damage, physical, this is the part that usually gets damaged because it's right in the front. And people who have physical damage to this area is like seizures and epilepsy, okay? And that's why you'll see in a second when I tell you what this area does, you'll see the connection between this and seizures. The other part of the deep limbic system. These are the emotional and spiritual centers of your brain. They give you passion. They give you uh, uh, meaning to your life. When these areas are strong, they give you purpose and they give you zest for life. When these areas are weak, you feel despair, you feel hopeless, you feel aimless in life. These areas contain, quote, the emotional flame that fuels our joys, but when they burn out of control, they fire dark thoughts and cause us to react with rage towards ourselves and others. These parts are connected very highly with your memory. You know why? Because we don't remember events. We remember emotions. You don't remember stuff that you see unless there's an emotion connected to it. We see thousands of things, millions of things. What gets stuck in there is when it's connected to an emotion or a feeling. That's why, again, seizures, when seizures happen, a lot, uh, the memory would oftentimes suffer. This is also the part of your body or your brain that processes language, visual, visual cues, body language, your intuition, music, rhythm, and spirituality. I'll come back to spirituality in a second. Here's what happens when you struggle in this area. And I'm not read that list, but you can see it right there. But the bottom line here is these are the spiritual and emotional centers of your brain. These affect your motivation. When you have trouble in this area, I don't care, apathetic, unmotivated, don't want to get out of bed in the morning. When these areas are functioning properly, you find purpose and meaning and you are driven in life. Now back to the spirituality for a second. I'll tell you about an interesting study done in the 1980s by Dr. Michael Persinger. It's called the God Helmet Experiment. You can go look it up when you go home. Basically what this, what this doctor did, he wanted to see the connection between the brain and spirituality. So he would bring the, 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 the people in and put a helmet on their head, like a motorcycle helmet, but it was wired in such a way to deliver like shocks and increase activity in certain parts of the brain, these parts of the brain that he said that we determined deal with your spirituality. And after inducing activity in people's temporal lobes, people reported increased incidences of spirituality and supernatural experiences. Many people reported feeling the presence of someone else in the room. Some people said it was God, some people said it was angels, some people said it was aliens, but the people felt another presence in the room. So what he concluded 
is that based on your brain, which by the way, I totally agree with this. This is science. I'm telling you experience. So I got experience. I got no science behind any of it, but I see people and I know people and he's got science. And when you put the two together, studying the same person, certain people are more wired for spirituality than others. Certain people are more wired for spirituality than others. That's what his conclusion was. And I say the same thing. Now with that said, that's not letting us off the hook. When I say wired for spirituality, I mean the, the classic definition that we think of when it comes to spirituality, which is the able to pray for hours and the loves to come to church and sing songs. And this causes a lot of problems I see in marriage because usually he is not wired for spirituality the way she is. And she determines that he's not spiritual. I pray for an hour a day. He only prays for a minute. I, I tell him, let's pray all night. He don't want to pray all night. He's not spiritual. He's not motivated. He doesn't love God. He doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't love you. Like he doesn't love anything. And the bottom line is, is all of us are made to worship God, but not necessarily in the same way. Okay, remember we did a whole series on finding your flavor, how we said there are many ways to the way. And some people express their spirituality by serving the poor. And some people express their spirituality by fighting for the rights of those who can't fight for themselves. And some express it by long hours in prayer. And some express it by fasting, like we express it in different ways. But the point is, is that not all of our brains are made the same way. So ladies, let them off the hook a little, go easy. You know why, especially? Because what they tell us is the limbic system, which I said is responsible for spirituality, on average is larger in women than it is in men. So you know what, ladies? He's not as spiritually inclined as you are. He's also not as emotionally inclined, and he also forgets a lot more stuff than you do. And there's a science behind that. And instead of complaining, what we're going to do is we're going to do what St. Paul told us to do in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. He says, indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Well, the thing formed, say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor? and another for dishonor. What's the point of this whole discussion, this little, this little uh, 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 science lesson, okay? What's the point of all this? I said earlier, violin, your brain is the violin and your mind is the violinist. Does the violinist need to know how the violin works in order to play music? No, you can pick it up and just, you can make music. But does he need to know how it works if he wants to master it? If there's a problem and something sounds a little bit off, he needs to know the inner workings of it so that he can fix it when it's broken or at least address it. And he needs to know in order to master, yeah, to play it, you don't need to know any of this stuff, but to master it. And that's what we're trying to get to. You may not understand how your brain works and you can get by in life. You can just kind of figure it out and you can just kind of bump into people and run into people and whatever. But we want to get to the point of health. And we want to get to the point where we can grow. So in order to do that, we need to understand what's going inside and properly diagnose it. Maybe it's not that he's not spiritual. Maybe the problem is not that I just, I don't care about my career. Maybe there's more to it. And maybe we need to invest in our brain health the same way we invest in every other area of health. So here's what we're gonna do, okay? I know I'm late on time here, so I'm gonna go super quick on this last part. What I wanna do right now is I, I'm talking about invest in our brain, invest in our brain, but y'all know me. I'm not going to leave you without a practical, structured way to do it because I'm Mr. Structure Guy because I'm prefrontal cortex. I'm very strong, order and structure, okay? And I'm the, the rigid guy. So I don't want to just say like, do your best. No, I'm going to tell you exactly how you do your best, okay? And take it for what it's worth. If you got a system that works for you, like more power to you, I'm going to share 
a four-step system of detoxing your brain and getting rid of the unhealthy and putting in the healthy. And it's based on what Dr. Amos says in this book, what Dr. Lee, Caroline Lee, who I spoke about last week, a system that she comes up with, but hers is five steps. Dr. Amos is three steps, hers is five steps. I came up with four steps to kind of add my own touch to it. But more importantly than any of them, it's based on scripture, and more, more importantly, but equally as important, is based on my experience. It's something that I've been doing for the past two years, two and a half years now. And it's something that, as I shared with you guys before, has made such a big difference in my life. Increased my productivity, sharper in my mind, more focused, and able to get more done in less time based on me being able to invest in this system. Here we go. I'm going to give you all four steps at once, okay? And then we'll talk through them real quick. Recognize, record, revisit, reach. First, I recognize my thoughts. I told y'all, every morning before I start my quiet time, I get into the, I drop the kids off at school, I get into my office, I close the door, and I start my day in silence. And even before I pray, I start my day in silence, and my goal is to silently figure out what's going on in there and recognize what thoughts are in my head, what feelings are going through my body. Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling negative? Am I feeling discouraged? Am I feeling stressed out? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Am I feeling like what is going on that's inside me? Because what's inside me is going to come out of me. So when I recognize it, I'm aware. Even if I can't do anything about it, I'm aware. You know what? I'm aware that today, you know what? I'm starting a day, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out. And I know when I'm stressed, because I've done this, I know the stress can lead to this, this, and this. Or I know that I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged, or I'm frustrated, or it could be happy. You know what? I'm enthusiastic. I'm excited. I'm eager. I start by figuring out what's going on inside me. Now, with this part, your thoughts come from one of two places. Like I said, your thoughts can come from outside of you, or they come from inside of you. Which of the two are more dangerous? The outside thoughts or the inside thoughts? The inside by far. So what you want to do is you wanna to get to a place of minimal distraction because what you don't want is outside things to bring thoughts in and you think, okay, that's what's in my head. You wanna minimize anything that can lead to thoughts. So with me, I don't like stuff on walls. I like bare walls. They always say my office is like a jail cell. Okay, I like it that way because I don't want anything to distract me. I don't want a picture or something that may put a thought in there. I wanna know the thoughts that are really in there. I don't want any sounds around me. I don't want any music. I don't want anything that can spark a thought. Now, you may be different than me, okay? I'm not saying you have to do it my way. I'm just sharing what simply is my way. Goal is to isolate. Anything that can make a noise or ding or has a notification is not allowed to be in the same room when you do this. Second, I record my thoughts, all right? And I write it down on a piece of paper. I think there's huge power in writing things down on paper. You know when you write things on paper, it's like putting... It's like making it real. It's like giving birth to it. It's like putting your brain in front of you. And now that it's in front of me, I can deal with it. I can look at it. I can study it from this side. I can put it over here. Okay, but as long as it's in there, okay, it's, it's, it's convoluted and it's not clear. But they say that thoughts disentangle themselves as they pass through the lips, but also through the pencil tips when you write it down. So I encourage you to write it down. Don't skip this step. Trust me, it makes a big difference. Three, revisit my thoughts. This is when I look at those thoughts. Now my brain is in front of me. Like I said, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling despair. I'm feeling how I'm feeling. I put it in front of me. And now I approach it from God's lens. And I look at those thoughts. And I say from God's perspective, how does God look at this? And I'll tell you what I do specifically, okay? Because again, the goal is to get rid of the toxic, put it in the healthy. 
What I do specifically is given my thought or feeling for the day, I look at it and say, this could lead to this. So I call it my temptation for the day, okay? So like, for example, if I feel overwhelmed and I feel stressed, that could lead to the temptation of rush through prayer so I can get to work as fast as possible. So now I've identified this thought, this feeling could lead to this. Now it's in front of me right there. So now after I do that, I come up with, this is what I'm gonna do to make sure that doesn't happen. Let's say I feel frustrated, you know, with something, I feel frustrated with someone, then that could lead to snappy, okay? Little jabs here and there, and I could do little jabs here and there. So I'm gonna be extra on guard. When I'm frustrated, I gotta be extra on guard against the little jabs against the people who are around me. Let's say I feel inspired and I feel excited to face the work day. Well, what temptation could that lead to? That could lead to work before prey because I'm so excited to jump into my work and to tell so-and-so and, and, and. So I'm saying, you know what? I'm not gonna tell a soul about this idea until I talk to God about it in prayer right now. You see how this works? You revisit the thoughts. What's in there, put it on paper, now attack it. Take the bad ones captive, throw them away. That's the custom station we talked about last week. And then the ones who are still in there, remember how Dr. Amen said we talk back to them? Remember how we talk back to our parents? Okay, and they say, do this, we say, no, you do this. And we say, ah. okay, we need to do that to our brains. And the brains say, you're worthless. I think you're worthless, okay? And the brains say that you have no value. I think you have no value. And I'll tell you, I'm a child of God. Who are you? You're telling me that I'm, I'm a child of God. You're an invisible friend. What are you talking to me like that? Okay, and it says that you're weak. and say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's actually the, the, the last part. Reach for my future. I throw a dart out there, and this is where I am today. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I am. But this is where I want to get to. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling helpless. But this is where I want to get to. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't have to be a verse, but I like to use a verse. And I feel like, like I, I'm just going to struggle with fear my whole life. No, because he has not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7. And you say, you got no one on your side, but if God is for us, who can be against us? And then you take that and you walk around all day. And you say, you know what? Life is never gonna change. You say with God, all things are possible. With men, this is impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. You reach for your future. You throw it out there. You say, that's where I'm driving to. And you put it on paper. And I'm telling you, there's a science behind it. I don't know the science until I read this stuff, but I'm telling you, there's a science behind it. When you think a thought, scientists tell us that when you think a thought, it's the same, it creates the same connection in your brain as actually when you perform that action. So for example, someone who is a playing a piano or someone who is a high level athlete or a doctor performing a surgery or a salesman about to give a pitch. When you sit, okay, studies show, that scans show that when you sit and you go over it in your mind and you rehearse it in your mind, this is what the elite level athletes, okay, and priests, the elite level, okay, and you rehearse it in your mind and you, and you can see yourself performing the surgery in your mind and you can see yourself performing the piano thing in front of millions of people or whatever it is. When you see yourself doing it, you are creating the same reaction in your brain as when you actually do it. That's why the ability to think these thoughts and rehearse these thoughts over and over and over and over creates connections in your brain and gives you access to those thoughts later on when you actually need them. This is what's called, this is what an athlete would call muscle memory. 
This is why an athlete will perform the same action over and over and over and over and over and over because he's creating connections in his brain, creates a muscle memory, becomes easier to do. And I'm telling you the same thing when you think it. We say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you carry the word of God like that around and you repeat it to yourself, there's power. There's power in it. And if you don't believe me, try it for two weeks and then come back and tell me. I always wanted to say, I'm a brain surgeon. And now you can say it. Because every time you think a thought, you literally rewire your brain. You are performing brain surgery on yourself and you have a tremendous power given to you. And if you don't believe me, you read what St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.16. You know why you have a great power? Not because your mind is so great, but because we have the mind of Christ. I'm not fighting my brain with the mind of me or the mind of you or the mind of, of, of Einstein or the mind of nobody. I'm fighting with the mind of Jesus Christ himself. Yes, there may be genetic or biological imperfections. All of us have, every one of us. But we have a power that is greater than any weakness in this world. And that power is the power of Christ himself. Given to us through his spirit, we have the mind of Christ. You may not realize it, but you have a neurosurgeon inside there. And he is willing to operate. He is willing to help you form new connections, take old thoughts captive, and give you an entire life. Because we talked about this before. I can change my brain. I can change my life. And that's what we're talking about here. My prayer is that every single person here, we would, we would not do these two extremes. That, that I have nothing wrong with me or I have everything wrong with me, there's nothing I can do. We're not going to either of those two extremes, spiritually, physically, or we're not doing it with our brain. All of us, none of us can say no problem. None of us can say all problem. We all have a choice that we can make. My prayer is that God would give us the courage, because it takes courage to do this, to be able to fight for our brain health. And we will realize that we are not victims, that we have power. We have the mind of Christ given to us, and that we would tap into that greatest power, which is the mind of Christ. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your very spirit to dwell inside of us. We have the mind of Christ. We feel weak. We feel lost. We feel like there's nothing we can do sometimes. We feel helpless. But we know that we are not helpless. We are not victims only. But we have you inside of us. We have the mind of Christ. And I pray that you would remind us of that every single day that we would tap into that great power which is within each and every single one of us. We pray this in the name of your Son, the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.